Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, and more. The handler one day told her this whole thing about how they've been terraforming on Mars, and they're building a colony, and they're recruiting specific people of specific bloodlines and specific talents and skill sets to go onto the planet. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to this third episode of Money on the Move. My name is Faisal Khan. In this episode, we talk about the tens of trillions of dollars uh, problem that's faced in moving money around the world in the banking system. I'm joined with my co-host Malani Kanan. Malani, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Faisal? Doing good, doing good. And just a quick update on some of the conferences coming up. If you are not aware of Hugo's conferences for IMTC, which is the International Money Transfer Conference, you ought to be. Sao Paulo in Brazil from March 21st to 23rd. The Remtech Tech Awards are happening in Kuala Lumpur in May 8th to 10th. The IMTC EMEA is going to be happening in Brussels from 16th to 18th May. We'll be there. Hopefully you can see us. San Francisco, June 27th to 29th. Manila, September 19th to 21st. And the World uh, IMTC Conference that happens in Miami in November 13th to 16th. Best to go get your tickets now. And it is probably one of the most premier events if you are involved in the money transfer industry. So what's this challenge about moving money through the banking system today? You know, there is an international transfer through your bank account. It's slow and expensive. And sometimes as a sender, you may not even receive the actual exchange rate when issuing a wire transfer, but more like an indicative rate from your bank. So where is the problem and why is it tens of trillions of dollars? Uh, Explain on it today. Yeah. So let's assume that, let's take a simple example, right? I try to send you money today. I'm sitting here in Singapore. You're sitting there in Istanbul. And I say I want to send you 500 lira. Um, Now, I tell my bank in Singapore, let's say I'm banking here with HSBC. I tell them, you know, I want to send Faisal 500 lira. This is his bank account number. Um, How much? And that's sort of the request is how much do you deduct in Singapore dollars from my account? Now, your bank in Istanbul, you let's say you bank with one of the local banks over there called Guarantee Bank, um, and they don't really have a local presence here in Singapore. So they have no presence in Singapore. They have no ability to sort of uh, or no agreement in place with my bank, HSBC, here in Singapore. So without this direct agreement between the two banks, how does this? How does my money actually get to you? This is a whole other complex network of banks and banking relationships and this is called intermediary banking so for the sake correspondent banking right or correspondent banking exactly so i think there's a slightly different terminology used depending on which country you're in Um, and 
in very sort of a, a very sort of basic way to explain this is all correspondent banks are intermediary banks. So intermediary banks is like a broader term, and intermediary banks perform a lot of different services for banks in these kind of cross-border um, arrangements. And correspondent bo- banking is sort of a subset of intermediary banks in that sense. So okay, yeah. So in this case, so let's say that your bank, Guarantee Bank, has an agreement in place with Citibank, which is locally based in Singapore. So Singapore Citibank branch, um, Guarantee Bank has an SGD account or a Singapore dollar account with Citibank here in Singapore. And for Guarantee Bank, this account that they have with Citibank in Singapore is called a Nostro account, where Nostro in Latin means mine. So this is my account, Guarantee Bank's account. In, at Citibank in Singapore. Here, Citibank is called the correspondent bank, like we just discussed. And for them, this account that Guarantee Bank has with them is called the Wostro account, or Wostro in Latin means yours, which is, this is your account, this is Guarantee Bank's account with me, right? So generally speaking, this is the, um, this is the banking arrangement that this, these two banks have, and it's quite likely that both banks would have um, accounts with each other so that they do like a daily settlement of like credits and debits based on. And what, what does that mean to have an account? Because you have to explain that to the listeners that it actually means that they have to put money over there. That's they right. Have to and park and, and block and block their money. That's right. And that's where some of this liquidity issue comes to. And, and this whole $10 trillion problem that we're trying to explain, this is where it comes from, because this is one banking arrangement that they have, where, you know, they have an account in another currency with a bank in another country to really function at a global scale. They need, every bank needs to have multiple of these arrangements in at least all the major currencies that they foresee transacting in. So what this means is you have a lot of money trapped in these different banking arrangements with your correspondent banks, right? Um, so just to sort of complete back on the example where I'm trying to transfer money to you. Um, so I would give an instruction to my bank, HSBC Bank, saying, you know, whatever that Singapore dollar equivalent is, I need to get 500 lira to Faisal guarantee bank account. Um, HSBC would transfer this money actually to Citibank, to Guarantee Bank's Nostro account with Citibank. Citibank would then do their, you know, transaction settlement with Guarantee Bank and send that message through the SWIFT network. And Guarantee Bank transfers that equivalent lira amount, 500 lira, into your account. So that's but there's I, a I question the mark. most simple version of it. Yeah. So there is a problem, you know, in this thing. There, there is no guarantee that I will actually get 500 liters. In fact, there's no way for Citibank to guarantee uh, or even your local bank to guarantee with what Citibank might deduct in the middle. Even though you may pay a full SWIFT fee, uh, the correspondent bank may deduct $20, $30, and I may not even get 500 liters in my account. I'll probably get something else. And what my bank deducts, I have no idea. So it's basically a surprise. You only get 420 liras in my account you know, when you send the money. So th- just wanted to make that point. You know, but, but coming back to how complex does this get? Well, what you've just shared is a simplified version, right? Where only one intermediary bank is involved. However, depending on the currency pairs, and that's a very important thing here, currency pairs, 
uh, and the sender and the recipient banks, it is possible for more than one intermediary bank to be involved and potentially another currency like the US dollar in the middle to facilitate the transaction. There may not be many Tanzanian shillings to Singapore dollar transactions. Hence, you may have to convert the Tanzanian shillings to US dollar, the US dollar to the Sing dollar and do the transaction. Exactly. This is why... Yeah, and this is why international funds transfer can take anywhere from, you know, uh, hours, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice, to a few days, you know. Uh, and depending on the network of the intermediary banks between the sender and the recipient banks, it's more like, more more likely days than hours. I, I'm, you know, I can speak from experience. And uh, if the currency pair conversion isn't direct, then a cur- third currency like the USD is being used to facilitate the transfer and it also impacts the actual FX rate that we incur. Because now you are introducing another currency, uh, you know, yes, the transaction is going to get more expensive, which is why sometimes you're only given an indicative amount of what you will be charged for the transfer and the actual amount or what actually lands into my account would probably differ from what you've been told. Hold on, what's the next one? Uh, What this also means is that all the banks need to enter into such third-party banking relationships for each major currency and participate in a bigger intermediary bank network, tying up the liquidity, you know, and and, and this also ties up the liquidities that the bank have. Uh, Not to mention it also brings in many external liquidity partners like FX brokers and, you know, payment settlement networks, which then have their own charges. Um, To simplify this and make this quicker and less expensive, we have other systems apart from SWIFT, like the BACs in the UK or SEPA, you know, in the Eurozone, that provide a cheaper and a faster alternative for the country regions they are applicable in. That is one currency. However, the minute we go cross-border, you know, that statement really doesn't hold true. And the basic principle is to you know maintain multiple accounts with one central entity instead of multiple banks to allow for automated clearing and to do this in a single country instead of multiple country pairs is to make it you know is, is to make the whole thing cheaper. Uh, reality is and reality is very different. Yeah, and actually, you know? this is where I wanted to pause, pause and ask you something, Faisal, because I think in all the experiences that that we've had and sort of even all the things that we've talked about, this idea of having a central entity to allow for almost like a settlement in one single currency or one single. Um, you know, even a ledger of credit and debit, it becomes very complicated to put in practice when you have more than one currency that a region is operating in, right? So this is actually a very um, ideological state of the world in a way. So, I mean, I I would love to comment on this thing, but you have a pending point, which is, you know, how uh, Ripple is going to solve this problem. And I think once you're done with that statement, uh, I will then maybe interject and let you know my view of how it can be solved. And my 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 view, you know, to sum it up, is that we cannot have a central entity, and we should be looking at decentralized uh, systems, uh, the decentralized exchanges, and we should be looking at something called JIT, just in time. So just in time contracts, just in time liquidity, just in time deposits, and just in time payments. Right. But anyways, I'll let you I'll let you explain the Ripple problem. Right. So, yes, yeah, so you gave it all away. So there is a company out there that's been trying to solve this for a couple of years now, and that's Ripple. Um, and we've heard about Ripple, but just for those of us who um, are still trying to put Ripple in context of the 
problem that we just shared. Ripple is attempting to solve this problem at a global scale. This idea that we talked about that, you know, we'd have people have to have multiple banking arrangements to operate funds transfer at a truly global scale. What if you could have it real time? What if you could have it, you know, in one single currency pair or one central currency in a way um, for all of money transfer? So Ripple is built on something called the Ripple Transaction Protocol or the Ripple Protocol. And it has features that are similar to the blockchain, but I, I, I think the common consensus, and at least my viewpoint, is it's not exactly like the blockchain. So what are the similarities? It uses a distributed ledger, very much like the blockchain, that's consensus-based. Um, it can record and settle transactions in near real time. Um, on the Ripple protocol, I think just about 20 days ago, the official statement was they can do 1,500 transactions per second for just a few cents. So it's definitely as close to real time as it gets, and it's cheaper than what it costs to run things through the SWIFT network. And Ripple has a native currency called the XRP, which we discussed in our first episode as well, um, similar to how the blockchain has Bitcoin, right? So it does have a currency associated with it. But what are the differences? It's not actually decentralized because it's owned by a private company called Ripple Labs. And in that sense, they have complete control over this platform. Um, and unlike the blockchain, Ripple Labs has a clearly stated objective for the platform and the currency, and that is to facilitate international money transfer in real time in a cheap manner so that it's accessible to all. So at an individual level, Faisal, today I can buy and send you XRP instead of trying to convert my SGD into Lira so that you get a certain amount of money. Now, banks can do the same, um, and banks are or at least Ripple has put out a lot of press releases showing that banks all around the world and even MTOs like MoneyGram are connecting to the Ripple protocol um, to make money transfer cheaper, quicker, and avoid this trillion-dollar flow problem that we're talking about. Um, and I'll leave you to explain a little bit of this, but there is a difference between using the Ripple protocol and using XRP, right? And that's that's really where the question of is this going to be successful comes about. First of all, I want to point out to anyone listening, we are not uh, doing this as a paid podcast for Ripple. Uh, I love Ripple. However, I feel that there are many areas where they are lacking. A common misnomer is that the XRP is what the banks will use to transfer money. Banks actually don't use XRP at all. It's a direct ledger integration and, you know, you will have correspondent banking relationship removed because both the banks can now talk to each other on, you know, using the Ripple protocol and adjust their ledgers. So that is one thing. Is Ripple going to be the ultimate solution? I don't think so. Uh, if you ask a Chinese government or the Russian government or the Indian government or some countries in Africa or the GCC or Iran, what have you, would you accept a solution by an American company as the de facto solution of transferring money worldwide? What do you think the answer is going to be? It's going to be no. Likewise, inversely, if you were to ask the American government, would you take a Chinese protocol, a blockchain protocol, a decentralized protocol, but centrally mined and accept that as a de facto payment protocol. No, the Europeans would have the same view and so forth. So I don't think so. Unlike the internet of data, I don't think so. We will have a single protocol. Ripple will be one of the many protocols 
I am, I am convinced of that. I'm also convinced that the digitization of money and tokenization of money is going to happen from a fiat level. So that means there will be a sink, uh, a sink dollar token that can be traded anywhere in the world immediately. And if I have it in my wallet, it's, it's with me. I, I think that's it's inevitable that such um, altcoins by or official altcoins coming up by governments will come up and they will allow the trades, you know, the, the pairs to be traded. The example you gave of XRP is very uh, utopian right now. Uh, there is no way for you to immediately go buy an XRP at your corner local, you know, local corner store and you know say, okay, I want you know six hundred dollars worth of XRP so I can send it to Faisal across you know, Istanbul, and I can do the same in a, and cash out. It's a very cumbersome, it's a very convoluted process as such. I feel what we are looking at is we'll be looking at different solutions. Uh, how the correspondent banking payment protocol will be different from let's say merchant banking payment protocol will be different from credit card payment protocol will be different from b2b payment protocol will be different from letter of credit payments protocol so i see eventually we'll have many many protocol uh, protocols blockchains ledgers altcoins etc there'll be many different variants and the one thing where I think Ripple will excel is the ILP, which is the interledger protocol. If you have, if you consider each country as a blockchain, what connects them? And that would be the interledger protocol. If you have various, if you have the Chinese version of the blockchain and the Ripple version of the blockchain and the European version of the blockchain, what will connect? What will make all these three blockchains connect, talk to each other? And that might just be the ILP. And I think that's where Ripple could excel. I feel that the need to park money and put it there and just let it sit there and have a treasury function monitor what the demand would be, I think that's going to get eliminated. I think the centralization that you were alluring to the fact that you know there has to be a central entity that would manage it, I think that would also vanish. I think we are, we are becoming more and more accustomed, or we will become more and more accustomed psychologically, first of all, that there ought to be a decentralized manner in which money should be held. Once we have accepted that fact, I think the solutions are, are there are plenty of solutions that we can implement, and that basically means is if I am a, if you have a bank in in Singapore and I have a bank in Turkey and you want to send me money, we may not have a correspondent relationship, but we can, and that relationship can be just in time. It can be established immediately. We can do a, a value transfer and we could disconnect the relationship, if you will, after the value transfer has been done. There was no money that was parked. There was no money that was sitting there. There was no cor complex correspondent. I mean, you know, we can save a, on such a wide swath of problems and, and be a very efficient system. Is that far away? Not too much. I think in the, in the days to come or in the months to come, we will have it. Will XRP be the winner? Who knows? I don't know. You know, it's like saying is the VCR going to be the winner? I think the VCR didn't win, but then people said, oh, the DVD won. Actually, DVD also died. Um, who won? I think the formats won, right? The underlying protocols won. So we'll see where it goes, but I don't see XRP and Ripple being the only solution provider because I think they're going to face plenty of competition from other countries and other solution providers themselves. And I think you addressed very well, um, you know, while you were providing what you see as the vision and what you think is going to happen. One of 
the real concerns with using XRP because the amount of volatility that is there in any of these cryptocurrencies. So XRP, for an, for example, is, um, you know, just a couple of days ago on 4th of Jan, I think XRP hit a very, it, it, it hit a high. It was one XRP was about 3.68 US dollars and the market cap was about 142 billion. Um, but then today, as I was sitting and crafting this example and I checked on the prices again, one XRP is 1.2 US dollars and the market cap is about 46 billion. So it wouldn't actually make any sense for me to send you XRP, right? Um, and that's the biggest concern for, for someone like me when I think about adopting um, XRP. So what you suggested also alludes to the fact that without XRP or any of these currencies taking on that central role, we wouldn't have to question so much the volatility of it. And in a way, it would probably address the volatility of it just by adoption. That is true. But there's another thing, Melanie, you need to be aware of. That there's something, although I have to be careful when I say this, there are two uh, camps. One says this is genuine. One says this is a fraud. Uh, I really don't know. But the concept, if we were to look at the concept, there is something called tethered. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you have something called okay. USD tethered, you have GPB tethered. And in and it's basically a derivative contract on the blockchain. And basically, it guarantees that the USDT, the USDT T for tethered, remains stable. It remains as $1. Uh, it doesn't go down to 0.7 of a dollar and doesn't go immediately high as $1.5. It remains at $1. And when you have your currencies on the blockchain and when you're not trading them or when you're not, when you don't want to keep your Bitcoin in Bitcoin, but you want, you can convert it into the USD tethered. The difference between the tethered dollar and the regular dollar is that the tethered dollar is also an altcoin. It can be sent anywhere. The US dollar cannot be sent anywhere. It would be exchange dependent, right? So if I take my Bitcoins and I convert them to dollars, that's basically a dollar balance sitting in the fiat bank account of that exchange. But if I have USD tethered, it's another altcoin and it'll behave just like the US dollar and I can send it anywhere I want. So I think the tethered concept and the, der- the, the derivative concept in currencies will eventually show up. What role they will play in the clearing and settlement because you know the tethered does have a premium on it um, remains to be seen, but it diminishes the volatility in a huge, huge way. Okay, wonderful. On that note, I think um, let's close this episode and looking forward to hearing people's comments and any other thoughts on this topic. As always, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can write on moneyonthemove at aroundthecoin.com. That's moneyonthemove, all one word, at aroundthecoin.com. Or if you prefer the shorter version, M-O-T-M at aroundthecoin. Both the email addresses will come to us and we'll be happy to read your suggestions or comments. Till next time, Faisal Khan signing out. And Malni Khanan signing out as well. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.